1: the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade.
2: Hey, thanks so much for being there. Hi, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Admiral James Stravitas on all things international and the challenges facing America, along with the Biden policies. He's coming up in 20 minutes. Then uh, Mark Short, former chief of staff to the vice president and also legislative aid to the president of the united states so what's it going to take to get all this legislation passed the parliamentarian and the chances of all this stuff being done through reconciliation with infrastructure we're going to talk about that so uh, and we were going to be seeing the president of the United States going to Pittsburgh to announce his new infrastructure bill. It's uh, more spending than I've ever thought I'd see in my lifetime. At one time, he is just letting it all fly. At 78 years old, clearly losing his fastball, he is just trying to pull everything, uh, put everything, democratic and left wing into a hopper. So let's get to the big three.
1: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
3: Number three. They have not been transparent. They have not provided underlying data. That certainly doesn't qualify as as cooperation. It doesn't lead us to any closer of an understanding or greater knowledge than we had six to nine months ago about the origin.
2: And we're talking about what happened with the coronavirus. Pandemic cases rising. Death's going down, though, and hospitalization's going down. Biden wants us home with two masks. How is it your, how is your state responding? What about you? How are you responding in your family? And just about the whole world realizes China is roadblocking a true investigation into the origins of COVID-19, including the WHO, who actually commissioned the study that was derailed by China.
1: Number two.
4: Buried in the plan. It's going to be something called social infrastructure, which will be a massive expansion of the welfare state with no work incentives. We are looking at a universal basic income plan before this is all said and done. And you just
2: wait to the wait to do the defense. Larry Kudlow saying it. Yeah, it's called human infrastructure. Two trillion. That's how much Joe Biden's new infrastructure plan will cost. I think it's going to be more. And the taxes we'll all pay for uh, have to give up and actually shell out money for. In order to try to get close to that two trillion dollars, Biden also gave us a new term that he needs uh, that he needs out there, human infrastructure, the spending and the absurdity never stops.
5: Number one. The capacity for this location for COVID purposes is 250. We're holding over 4,100 subjects in this location alone. You do the math. We're way over capacity. We're like 700% over capacity.
2: Uh, that is the deputy patrol chief, and he is talking about Donna, Texas. Worse than we thought. We finally get an inside look at the jam packed Donna facility, and the conditions are beyond unlivable. Plastic, walled in, built in rooms. 30, where there should, there are 30, it's built for 30, there are 500 people in it, a structure made for 1,000, now is over 5,000 in it, Uh, a Biden-made disaster, a problem with the VP, Uh, she was asked to run things, and uh, Vice President Kamala Harris has been invisible. She was told on Thursday, we're going to let her try to fix the border, like he tried to do with Barack Obama, at least he tried. Kamala Harris has been invisible. First, let me give you some stats, it should blow you away. So, we finally see some of the Donna facility. And thankfully, the American people have had it. Uh, the Marist poll is out and they said, How is President Biden handling immigration? Only 34% approve. I don't even know what those 34% are. But what we're trying to see is some numbers. So, how bad are things? How bad are things? Well, let's take a look at the Donna facility. Pre-COVID, 1,000 people get into this facility. Post-COVID, 250. How many are there now? 4,100 at the facility. 3,400 as of yesterday, unaccompanied minors. 39 of those unaccompanied minors were there at least 15 days. They're supposed to be in and out in 72 hours. And it's going to get worse because a lot of them have tested positive for the coronavirus. they got to be moved to a different floor. So, the question is, if the president won't go there and he turns it over to the vice president and she won't show up there, who's in charge? Remember this, cut one. But I've asked the VP today, because she's the most qualified person to do it, to lead our efforts.
6: It's a huge problem. I'm not going to pretend it's not.
4: She speaks, she speaks for me.
6: We will not put babies in cages.
4: And I can think of nobody who... uh, Who's better qualified to do this? Do you plan to visit
6: the border? Um, not today.
3: (laughs) The vice president of the United States will be uh, helping lead that effort, specifically the root causes, not the border. There's some confusion over that.
2: No, no. He said she'd lead the effort. Now she's somebody that will be part of the effort. And now she says, I don't go to the border. I'm just going to go to the countries where these people are coming from. Incredibly irresponsible. If you don't want the job, you shouldn't have taking it. What exactly does she do? Shows up a couple of times and giggles? Trey Gowdy. Can't believe what he's hearing. Cut to.
7: It is hard to get to the left of Barack Obama without repelling gear, but Kamala Harris has managed to do it. She is to the left of Obama and Biden on immigration. So putting someone who voted against DACA, a path to citizenship for DACA kids because it had some money for a border wall, not enough, but some money, Try getting her to identify any category of people that she wants to deport. So putting someone to the left of President Biden in charge of fixing this problem, I am fine if she doesn't want to go to the border between Mexico and and Texas. But how about the border between Honduras and Guatemala? If that's where the problem is, why are you still here? Get on a plane and go talk to the leaders of these countries.
2: You know, it's really stunning, too. In San Diego and California, they've not been in-person school, they've been fighting, PTA's been fighting, they try to get outdoor, outdoor club sports going, they finally had to sue to do that, and I believe they are playing, so they're trying to have in-person school, well, that's going to happen in a few weeks, do you know what, there were San Diego teachers from the Unified School District there, who showed up at the facility, at the San Diego Convention Center, to teach illegal immigrants, things like the arts, uh, societal trauma, and basic math and English. You'll show up for illegals, but you won't show up for your own kids. It is nuts. And guess what? Democrats just don't get it. They don't realize how bad it is. They don't care. Remember, AOC came down when Donald Trump was president and said uh, the Border Patrol agents were forcing them to drink out of toilet bowls. Not true. Here, she says this. Cut five.
8: Which, by the way, is a white supremacist idea, philosophy. The idea that if an other is coming in the population, that this is like an invasion of who we are.
2: Yeah, she went on to say surge is a war name. Invasion is a war name. These are kids. No, they're not all kids. 9,000 aren't all kids. A lot are. About 17,000 overall are kids. And it's pretty much a time for you to show some consistency and say this is unacceptable. Where is the outrage on the left? I haven't watched other channels this morning. I've been busy, but there should be the same outrage that people should have for President, for President Trump that you should have for President uh, 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 Biden right now. Meanwhile, at great cost to us, we've got to push these guys, these, uh, these girls, these families over to Fort Bliss. They're going to the K Bailey Hutchinson Convention Center. They're going to be going to neighboring states. Some are going to be forced to—unforced to home parents who are going to be pushing out American kids to take these kids. Incredible. And Ted Cruz saw it all. Cut 10.
9: If you had a child care, if you had any facility that takes care of kids, that, that was even a fraction of what the Biden administration has set up, you'd be shut down. The public health authorities would go after you. You would be fined. You might even be prosecuted. You know, these, these cages that the kids were in, they weren't six feet apart. They weren't three feet apart. They weren't even six inches apart. They were literally lying on the floor. There are no beds. There are no cots lying on the floor, side-by-side, side, touching.
2: It's true. I mean, look at the video. He's not exaggerating. So, I don't want to take too much time away from the Admiral, but I've given you a lot already with that big talker. I also want to talk about the infrastructure plan. You probably don't know anything about it. It was embargoed until 5 a.m. Eastern today. And then we're going to talk about uh, what's happening with the pandemic, how it's affecting your lives as, you know, they're trying to go for a second lockdown in France this Easter. France! we come back, Admiral James Travitas. uh, And then we go to Mark Short. What are the chances of these bills going through on simple majority? He'd know. Back in a moment.
1: It's Brian Kilmeade.
6: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the Launch Your Online Shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at
10: shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer.
2: As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now, Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in... Blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com slash path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com slash path.
1: Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. They have been all in in investigating
11: the animal hypothesis, which lets them off the hook. And from day one, they've been destroying samples, hiding records, imprisoning journalists. They have a universal gag order on scientists. And that's why any process that relies on the goodwill of the Chinese government is flawed from the start.
2: No kidding. Jamie Metzl worked with the Clinton administration, now is an advisor to the WHO, uh, coming out saying he's very upset by this new report that came out Wall Street Journal had it first but now is out. That almost everybody says it's not worth the paper it's printed on because China would not let the, uh, the scientists go where they needed to go to investigate how this coronavirus started. It's killed over 550,000 Americans. Admiral James Charvitas doesn't need me to tell him that. He's the 16th Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. His book, 2034, a novel, The Next World War, is a bestseller.
9: Uh, Admiral, welcome back. Good to be with you, Brian.
2: Kind of heartened that people understand what a whitewash this report is.
9: It is. And you know what it reminds me of is the Iranian nuclear program. This would be the functional equivalent of Iran simply saying no inspectors can come in here. And by the way, if they did a fig leaf of an inspection, they would simply Uh, whitewash it, as you say. Uh, They would gag the scientists. Uh, Some of them would be locked away in a closet forever. Um, In the same sense that we can't tolerate uh, nuclear programs being underground, we can't tolerate the lack of an answer here. And, um, you know, I I don't know whether this was man-made in a lab or came out of contact with humans and exotic animals but we need a full thorough accounting of this for all of the dead.
2: But but you know you know everything about leadership and integrity. Why would someone not want you to see and investigate fully what happened if you had nothing
9: to hide, Admiral? It's exactly the right conclusion to draw, and I think that if your president G And you're fighting on a variety of fronts. You're putting Uyghurs in concentration camps. You're uh, pushing on Hong Kong and shutting down what last vestiges of democracy are there. You're flying fighters over the Taiwan Straits. You know, this is just another piece of the puzzle to Mm. understand the tensions. Between the United States and China. But really, Brian, here's the important point. This is not about the U.S. versus China. This is about China versus the world in terms of they owe us all an answer, not just Americans, Brits and Germans and Japanese and everybody else.
2: I just wonder, you know, with all the things that people want to protest on everything, if a line's too long, you're not getting water on a line. And that, why aren't people protesting the fact that the country that killed over five hundred and fifty thousand Americans is not being transparent about how this all happened? I think we could actually gal get everybody together on that. Why is that? You don't I, I, hear much outrage around the world.
9: I think it's building to be honest with you, and I spend a fair amount of time in contact with a lot of different folks globally as you would imagine, and there's a growing sense that this is a question that absolutely must be answered. Um, The way to go at this is to uh, build a sanctions process that particularly targets their medical and scientific communities if they continue to be unwilling to cooperate, because they depend on that uh, both on the biological side and across the spectrum of technology. So I would be in favor of looking into targeted sanctions that go at the medical and technical and biological side if the Chinese do not come clean.
2: Well, I guess I gotta have to take another shot at it. Here's what Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State, said Sunday.
5: I think the the, the issue for us is to make sure that we do everything possible to
11: prevent another pandemic. And a big part of that is making sure that we have a a system in place, including with the World Health Organization, that uh, features transparency, that features information sharing, that features access for international experts at the start of something like this. Uh, And that's where I think China, like uh, every other country, has real
9: obligations that it needs to make good on.
2: Yeah, that would be that would be very refreshing. What about the language and tone?
9: Um, I think it's a little too conciliatory on this particular issue. And the, the way to deal with China, we demonstrate how it could turn out very badly in the novel Twenty Thirty Four. It's about a war with China in Twenty Thirty Four, and incidents like this are going to move us down that track, which is dangerous for everybody. What we should be doing is confronting China very directly on these key issues like accountability on the uh, virus, uh, like their claim of ownership of the entire South China Sea, a preposterous claim uh, of their treatment of Uyghurs uh, in concentration camps in Xinjiang province. We need to confront them directly and so they can understand what are the red lines for us. And I think this is something that is a red line.
2: All right. I just want to bring you to satellite images show a renewed activity in the Northern Korean nuclear lab. Uh, in their country. They had shut up two rockets two separate days last week. Uh, The photos released by Maxar Technologies uh, Center for Strategic and International Studies was posted in a think tank website. Uh, The imagery has shown signs of activity at the thermal power plant in recent weeks. What concerns you most about this? Uh,
9: The timing in the sense that Kim has now been effectively silent for about two years. And now will come the moment when he will test the international community. And I think, Brian, I hate to say this, I think he's he's already pulled out the short-range missile launches. He's pulled out the long-range ballistic missile launches. We saw those about 10 days ago. What's left? Um, unfortunately, it's probably some kind of a nuclear test um, because he is desperate to get out from under sanctions, and he believes the way to do that is to create a great deal of trouble globally. I think he's on a miscalculated path in that regard. But um, look for potentially nuclear testing coming up.
2: Very interesting. So are you concerned with all this spending and the infrastructure proposal that's going to be announced later today, that they're just going to work their way to the defense budget and gut it?
9: I am uh, increasingly concerned. And anybody who looks at defense will tell you that Um, we, We don't need massive defense increases here, but we do need to continue to move steadily because of the new systems that are going to be so important in a conflict with China. So that's cyber and cybersecurity. It's unmanned vehicles. It is our ability to use space uh, effectively in concert with our military uh, activities. It's special forces who can go behind the island chains and disrupt Chinese behavior in the South China Sea. That takes money. Some of it can be reprogrammed inside the Pentagon. But if you slash the defense budget, we're going to fall behind. That's going to reduce deterrence. Again, that's a path to a potential conflict with China. And we need
2: to avoid. Absolutely. Uh, Admiral, uh, have the book that you have out now is based on your years of knowledge of China. It's called 2034 A Novel
8: of. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try
6: three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.
2: The next World War, what kind of feedback have you gotten from the military community?
9: Well, first of all, the the national feedback is pretty good in the sense that we hit number six on the New York Times bestseller list and number seven on the Amazon combined fiction, nonfiction list. So the national response is good. And part of that is timing. As we see all this tension with China, boom, here's a book about what the dark end of the spectrum looks. From the military community, it's been uniformly positive because they feel it is shining the spotlight on the challenges that are very real. And and I'll close on this. Uh, People have said to me, hey, Stav, the only thing wrong with your book is the date. 2034. This could happen a lot sooner. That's what the military community is saying. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> uh, but,
2: but congratulations, Admiral. Uh, 2034, a novel, The Next World War, using the facts and experience to let uh, to project forward what we might be looking at with a Cold War foe like we've never seen before. Admiral, thank you.
9: Pleasure, Brian, as always.
2: You got it. Uh, coming up next, what are the chances of infrastructure bill passing? Mark Short knows.
12: Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details.
1: The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
13: I think you're faced with a corrupt Democratic machine uh, on everything it's doing right now, whether it's H.R. 1, the Corrupt Politicians Act, or this newest idea, which isn't an infrastructure bill. It's a payoff the Democratic Party Allies bill. And you got to go through all the items because what they're doing is they're lumping everything together, ramming it through, no hearings, no amendments, no markups. And their goal is to, frankly, one, prop up their allies with money, particularly the teachers' union, two, to be able to put in the woke policies that are the left wing of their party. And they got to get it done quickly, because every day that goes by, we're closer to the 2022
2: election. And that is, of course, Newt Gingrich. And joining us now is Mark Short. Newt Gingrich, uh, uh, by the way, Mark, was talking about this infrastructure bill. It's going to be $2 trillion. It looks more like 3 to $4 trillion. And you know Mark, former chief of staff to the vice president, uh, also worked with the president quite a lot. Uh, Mark, welcome back.
11: Brian, thanks for having me on. It's great to talk to you. So
2: I'm, I'm blown away by this $2 trillion bill because I'm used to hearing about infrastructure in here and hearing from you guys too. $620 billion for transportation, rebuild roads, bridges, highways. I get it. $400 billion on home care for elderly. Well, that's interesting. $580 billion for R&D, manufacturing, and training. That's a little vague. $650 billion on electrical grid, broadband, internet access, and water systems. That kind of makes sense. What does not make sense to me is this human infrastructure that will include aid to the poor, paid leave for workers uh, meant to reduce the cost of labor for child care. Proposals to pay for the second step include tax increases in high-earning individuals, of course. Uh, so we're talking about a lot of social stuff, along with bridges and tunnels. How do you put both in the same plan?
11: Well, Brian, as Newt said, you, you shouldn't really. And the reality is that Democrats know there's a the general support for infrastructure in the United States, so they use that as a marketing tool to push forward a lot of their left-wing programs. Uh, similarly, as just as predictable as the border crisis was for Biden, you should expect the Democrats to want to raise taxes. And so their vehicle to try to justify these enormous tax increases is to claim it's all for an infrastructure package. And in fact, even though expectation is to lay out about $2 trillion in spending today, the Washington Post has reported that overall, when this all comes together and more announcements are made, they're looking to spend about $4 trillion with roughly $3 trillion in tax increases, which is just an astronomical figure.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, some of the tax increases uh, blow me away. OK, so the top rate, they say, is going to be on the Bush era, just under 40 percent for high earners. They're going to get rid of the... Uh, corporate tax that was uh, was knocked down to 21 percent from 35. They're going to bring it back up uh, to 28. They're also going to uh, they're going to um, try to leverage that in different directions. How are they how are they going to pay for that these these tax increases? Well, those are two the two of the main things uh, that they're going to be doing. But they're also going to uh, up the estate tax. And they want to have a minimum tax that you could uh, – a max a minimum that you have to make with small businesses in order to get taxed. So there's all different ways that they're going to get close to paying for it while kind of restructuring the economy. They're actually yeah. making successful people pay a huge price.
11: Yeah, let's, let's stop there for a second, Brian, because uh, as you said, what they're looking to do on the corporate tax rate – let's talk about why we lowered the corporate tax rate. When we were at 35%, what happened is jobs were fleeing America to other countries because companies were relocating because they had a better tax rate. When we brought it down to 21%, the reality is we're just in the middle of the organized, developed countries. So the top 35, we have 19 who have lower tax rate and 16 that have a higher when we're at 21%. If we move back up to 28%, we're back in the top five most taxed corporate rates. Amongst the developed countries, many of them socialist European nations. Why we'd want to compete to have the highest tax rate with socialist nations in Europe makes absolutely no sense, and you're going to kill jobs. The tax relief that Donald Trump provided in 2017, in the next two-plus years, we created more than 5 million jobs. Unemployment rate was at an all-time low for African-Americans and Hispanic Americans, and a 50-year low for the nation at 3.5%. Coming out of a pandemic, it absolutely makes no sense to raise this tax that will actually kill jobs, but as you just said, it's going to be far more than that. The best estimates that if you raise the corporate tax rate from 21 to 28, say that you could maybe raise up to $750 billion in revenue, that leaves $2.2 trillion in additional taxes that are going to be on everybody. And as you've heard, part of what they want to do is to bring back the individual mandate tax, of which 90% of people who pay that earn less than $50,000. And Pete Buttigieg has floated the notion of a user tax for people who use the highways. Who is the one to drive most? It's the people who have to drive to their job, middle-class workers and and truckers across our country who are going to get screwed by the Biden tax increases. This isn't just a tax on the wealthy or a tax on corporations. It's going to be a tax on every single American.
2: You know, there's going to be things uh, – what I don't understand is they're not trying to work it out. There's a lot of commonality when it comes to infrastructure. You guys – I had so many infrastructure weeks. It never really quite worked out because something else would overwhelm it, like that fake Russia scandal. Axios writes today that you got the, – the where for Democrats, they have to have the corporate tax rate. They're not going to give in on that. They have to bring up that top level to 39.6 percent, the Bush-era tax rates. They said they're not going to give in on that. This global minimum tax, they think they can raise $550 billion on that. And capital gains hike. Uh, they think they get three hundred and seventy billion. What would a capital gains hike do?
11: Well, the reality is that you're going to you're going to stifle uh, trading of, of assets, and it's also going to hurt people who have uh, who have basically inherited certain projects, or people who are who are have accumulated project um, assets over the course of their lifetime. They also, when they're looking to raise the capital gains, they want to add an additional capital gains at at time of death. So you would have. In addition to your state tax that's going to be the, the cap would be lowered, they're also going to tax any sort of um, assets that you've accumulated separately over the course of your lifetime of a capital gains. It, it, hurts, it hurts so many transactions, and the reality is that people pay taxes their entire life on their income. Corporations pay taxes. The whole basis of a capital gains is simply double taxation. There's no purpose for increasing it, and, uh, and certainly, if anything, we should be trying to lower it.
2: Yeah, it would seem so. So if they try to do this infrastructure bill that they're going to announce today in Pittsburgh, Mark Short, you know what it's like to work legislature. You know what it's like to work Capitol Hill for Republicans and Democrats. When, and they, by the way, they want to get rid of the SALT tax. Remember, for the state and local taxes, you could write that off on your tax reform. So when you have high-tax states like California and New York, people don't get that upset because you could write those taxes off. You guys got rid of that with tax reform. Uh, there's where the, the so-called problem solvers or the New York lawmakers, they say they won't sign on to this unless that goes back. So that's more revenue they've got to have to make up for. So what are the chances of this passing on simply party basis using reconciliation?
11: Well, Brian, I think that uh, the reality is they do control the White House, the House, and the Senate. And so they probably have uh, favorable odds of passing some form of taxes. But I don't like our chances because the longer this sits out there, the more the American people will see it and not like it. And this is not going to be voted on anytime soon. And so the reality is that by by being able to shine light on it with shows like yours – more and more Americans will get outraged at what they're doing. And as you said, there's so much hypocrisy when a lot of the moderate Democrats have said they want to get rid of the cap on the SALT deduction. The people who benefit the most from that deduction are usually the wealthiest in New York and California where taxes are so high. So at the same time they're saying they're going to just tax the rich, some of the Democrats are working across purposes to basically give the the best deduction that only the rich take advantage of. So they're going to face problems within their own conference, and they do not have wide margins, either the House or the Senate. And further in the Senate, with you know, new, since the 2017 tax bill, you have multiple new senators who are not here then, who have not spoken. Do they really want to see corporate tax rates increase? Two new senators in Arizona, for instance, where I think a lot of this fight will be, have never had, to, had cast a vote on this. And now they're going to be faced with questions about, do you really support increasing taxes at $3 trillion for your state? Likewise in Georgia, likewise Nevada, new senators. And then, of course, there's going to be a lot of focus on Joe Manchin in the Senate, too.
13: Yeah,
2: so a couple of things. Number one, how many times can you use reconciliation? I get, they get this its kind of this fuzzy response to people. You can't just keep using it, correct? There's only a certain amount of times each year you can do it.
11: Well, that's, that's the way it's supposed to be, Brian. When we passed the tax leaf on budget reconciliation, we actually had to pass a budget first. That you could reconcile to Democrats are not passing a budget, but, as you say, the Senate rules here are somewhat murky, and they 're taking advantage of that that gray area to to continue to use reconciliation and This will probably be the second time they use it within the same year.
2: What is the danger of from the Republican perspective of allowing them to break this up into two parts? stuff that Republicans go for, for example, bridges and tunnels and roads we, we kind of need that updated, it would be jobs. And you guys seem to be on the same page. You seem very similar to the proposal. But the other social engineering things, this distribution of wealth, Republicans won't go for it. Democrats seem to know that. So they're almost saying, let's break this up. Is there a de- What is the strategy there that Republicans should look out for?
11: You're exactly right. The strategy should be to keep the bill together, uh, because if you break it up, there's probably going to be some moderate Republicans attracted to some elements of the infrastructure but even in the bills that Donald Trump proposed, if you recall, what we focused on was public-private partnerships that would lower the actual cost of taxpayers. So the cost of the infrastructure bills that we were talking about as far as outlays from the federal government was roughly $200, $300 billion, not $3 trillion, not $4 trillion. And as you said, so many of these things are just used under the umbrella of infrastructure that they aren't really infrastructure projects in the first place.
2: So uh, we have uh, these two things going. It's going to be announced today. You already got the 1.9 trillion. Do you know what's missing, Mark? A, a economic freefall in 2009. We're an economic freefall. They keep harking back to the depression on the evil World War II. This is going to be the biggest infrastructure bill since then. But the economy, by all counts, which was forced to go offline because of the pandemic, is ready to roar again. I mean, I don't think we need the 1.9. Let alone another two to three to four trillion. So, how do you rationalize this? This is not a catastrophe. We're ready to roar.
11: Brian, you're exactly right. It's, uh, the reality is that uh, people who purport Keynesian economics have uh, failed again and again, but somehow we keep going back to it. When we passed uh, most recently the $1.9 trillion COVID relief, uh, the reality is we still a trillion dollars left over from previous COVID relief bills that had not been spent. So, to your first point, we we're already, we're already have excess in, in outlays going out that's really not needed. But when you go back to the 2009 stimulus that President Obama and Joe Biden passed, it took three years after that giant stimulus bill to get unemployment under 7%. When we passed the Trump tax relief, instantly we had unemployment down to the lowest levels right. in American history. The, the notion that this giant stimulus is going to actually create jobs has been proven faulty again and again, yet we keep going down the same
2: path. And Larry Summers is one of the people who thinks this, the 1.9 was bad, and he's worries about inflation. Do, Mark, do you, when you talk to economists, do they feel the same thing?
11: I think there's a growing concern about inflation. I do think that, um, that this is a, a combination of factors. And one is that I think, candidly, we've had such artificially low uh, interest rates uh, that's a monetary policy issue for so long that I think contributes, uh, but certainly the continued uh, stimulus will probably trigger inflation, and you hear more and more people expressing that uh, that possible reservation. But regardless, the tax policy is bad because it's going to kill jobs, and and that's something that, uh, that I think
4: all Americans
2: should be worried about. So I want you to hear what Larry Kudlow said last night, a guy used to work with, Cut17.
4: Buried in the plan. Is going to be something called social infrastructure, which will be a massive expansion of the welfare state with no work incentives. Way left, senators, pushing continued automatic extensions of both direct stimulus checks and unemployment insurance. You know, more unemployment insurance gets you more unemployment. We are looking at a universal basic income plan before this is all said and done. Between the 3 or $4 trillion price tag and end of fossil fuels, the biggest tax hike since 1942, along with a gigantic expansion of the welfare state, this is really a pivotal, transformational bill.
2: So, you know, maybe people are going to wait this out and say, well, we lost an election, but There might be no return after this because people are going to be getting checks. They're going to get student loan forgiveness. uh, They're going to be getting $1,400. Now they're going to be getting more money. They're going to go, well, who gave me all that? The Democrats. So for the most part, people have to get attracted again to free market capitalism.
12: This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com.
2: But it almost has to be resold to the country.
11: Well, th- yes, you're right. But I think that these, uh, these policies have proven wrong and have failed many times again and often lead to a Republican resurgence. And if they're successful, which I think will be to the detriment of the country, I think politically you'll see a boomerang back for Republicans, as, as has happened. You know, one of the points that Larry just made in that soundbite is something that I think needs more attention, and that is I think a lot of Republicans can support unemployment insurance, particularly in time of a pandemic when people lose their jobs for no reason of their own. But the the extent to which we're providing, you continue to hear from the hospitality and tourism industry that they can't get workers back as the country reopens because what taxpayers are funding is more generous than the jobs that they had previously, and that's going to drive inflation and that's going to create more and more problems in getting people back to work.
2: Yeah, Tillman Fatita, who owns over 500 restaurants, casinos, and hotels, said, "I cannot get people back because the supplemental to the insurance to the unemployment insurance." That people say, sorry, uh, I'm not coming back yet, not until this runs out. Yep. Uh, Mark Short, can't thank you enough.
11: Brian, great to talk to
2: you. All right, uh, Mark Short, making sense of it. He knows what it's like to practically try to get something done on Capitol Hill because uh, he's done it. Uh, when we come back, your calls, 1-866-408-7669.
1: Brian Getting Kilmeade. past all the rhetoric, it's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Does
6: the the White House think that this sends the right message to these 130,000 Kids in San Diego and their parents who've
3: been stuck at home for the last year. Well, I'm just saying that context is important. And these kids are going back to school uh, for hybrid learning. We, of course, want that to be five days a week. And we're confident we'll get there early next month. And I believe they're also on spring break right now, which I think the context is pretty important.
2: one uh, 866 That was uh, Jen Psaki yesterday talking about the difference in San Diego where the teachers union says it's too dangerous to go to school, so I'll do hybrid learning. At the same time, Showed up to volunteer for all those illegal immigrants, uh, children, unaccompanied minors who are on in Cot City in San Diego, the Convention Center, and I think eight percent are positive for the coronavirus. That is astronomically higher than anything that would have encountered with American kids in California. Rob, listen on the Fox News Radio app in Westchester, New York. Hey, Rob.
13: Hey, how's it going, man? Good. What's on your mind? Uh, two things. Um, I saw – I was listening earlier, and they were talking about people not wanting to go back to work because of the unemployment insurance because the extra money they're getting. Yeah. But the minute your employer calls you back to
14: work, if you say, I don't want to come back, know. the employer calls unemployment, and they cancel the insurance. That's key. Do, do you want? You're really, that, really did,
13: able to work?
2: And a guy like Tillman was saying, do I really want to pick up the phone and turn in many people who are, are, are my – were my workers, some are friends, who are saying, hey, for the last year I've been getting unemployment insurance – I'm going to stay out for a little while longer. So that's the big question. Do employers turn in employees who are or eventually not even going to work for them anyway because they're going to be it, angry because they were turned in?
14: It's going to cost them money at the end of the year because unemployment insurance goes based on the percentage of you, what you use every year. So the pandemic, everybody used so much unemployment insurance. Employers' rates are
11: now going to skyrocket because the people stayed out on unemployment.
2: That's a good they, point. It's a great point. Look, as soon as the pandemic hit, he had to lay off 40,000 workers. He didn't want them to be last in line, but he knew this was not going to be a short stint. That's just one man, a billionaire, but trying to stand his company up again
12: new from the fox news podcasts network
6: my name is kennedy and welcome to my podcast which will i humbly say single-handedly save the world you're
12: welcome it's kennedy saves the world subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. live from the fox news radio
1: studios in new york city fresh off the set of fox and friends it's america's receptive voice Brian Kilmeade.
2: Hi, everybody. This is Brian Kilmeade coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. The Brian Kilmeade Show. We're, we're loaded with two big guests, Rich Lowry, at the bottom of the hour, uh, Talk about this infrastructure spending and how the Georgia voting law is anything but racist. The reality there is true. The messaging has been weak, to say the least, but Governor Kemp was on with me this morning on Fox & Friends. He said he did 12 interviews yesterday. He's going to do a bunch today to try to clarify exactly What Georgia did. And as you look at the facts, it looks like there was a reason why even the Washington Post had four Pinocchios to the President of the United States for lying, flat out lying, or telling blatant mistruths about what's in this bill. And Matt Schlapp standing by, one of the most powerful and respected voices on the Republican side. So let's get to the big three.
1: Now, with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three.
3: They have not been transparent, they have not provided underlying data. That certainly doesn't qualify as, as cooperation. It doesn't lead us to any closer of an understanding or greater knowledge than we had six to nine months ago about the origin.
2: Uh, Jen Saki talking about the pandemic. Well, the cases are up, deaths are down, hospitalizations are down, and many 18 states have gotten rid of their mask mandate. How is your state responding? What about you? As just about the whole world realizes China's road blocking a true investigation on the origins of the COVID-19 virus. The last report was a joke.
1: Number two.
4: Buried in the plan is going to be something called social infrastructure, which will be a massive expansion of the welfare state with no work incentives. We are looking at a universal basic income plan before this is all said and done.
2: Doesn't work with capitalism. Two trillion, that's how much Joe Biden's new infrastructure plan will cost. It's more likely four trillion. And the taxes will boggle your mind. They are going up everywhere. Biden also is giving us a new term that we have to get used to. Human infrastructure. The spending and the absurdity never stops.
5: Number one. The capacity for this location for COVID purposes is 250. We're holding over 4,100 subjects in this location alone. You do the math. We're way over capacity. We're like 700% over capacity.
2: Wow. Worse than we thought. We finally get inside the jam-packed Donna facility, and the conditions are beyond unlivable. Plastic walled-in rooms built for 30 have 500. A structure made for 1,000 has 5,000. A Biden-made disaster, a problem the VP was asked to solve, and she seems uninterested in doing that job. We'll get to your call shortly, but let's bring in Matt Schlapp, chairman of the American Conservative Union, host of CPAC, former political director for President George W. Bush. Matt. It's unbelievable. The vice president finally had something to do. She was a terrible candidate, an indifferent, uh, inconsequential senator, a grandstander, and she basically didn't do it. Have you seen anything like this?
14: I think uh, she gave the president the Heisman on the (laughs) idea that she'd step in and do the border. You know, when Mike Pence was put in charge of like the worst medical emergency in our nation's history, I I don't think any of his people thought it was going to be a lot of fun, but he stepped up and did his job and, she said, I love it. she's in charge of the diplomacy with these countries, which we've broken all of our agreements with, but uh, but she doesn't want to have anything to do with the border. You know, Brian, I don't know if she knows this, but they're kind of linked.
2: <laughs> she won't go. I mean, go down there, put on a pair of jeans and a members-only jacket and pretend like you care. And look at the big gaps yeah. in the wall you refused to finish that we paid for. So What, what I find about
14: AOC? That- Is AOC going to get down there and lean over and start crying, the fact that there's three times as many of these children as there there was under Donald Trump?
2: Uh, I don't think so. So far, we know Joe Biden, who has high, high marks so far as a incoming president, has 34 percent approval, according to the Marist poll, on how he's handling immigration. That's because we're just now getting to see these ugly images of these kids uh, in uh, aluminum foil and in soft tents. Here is what AOC said. Instead of crying and saying these are cages and they're drinking out of toilet water, uh, which, by the way, all not true, cut for.
8: First of all, just gut check, stop. Anyone who's using the term surge around you consciously is trying to invoke a militaristic frame. This is not a surge. These are children, and they are not insurgents, and we are not being invaded.
2: How about 30,000 people since January? What other proof do you need?
14: I don't know if AOC knows much about plumbing. You know, uh, (laughs) there's all kinds of ways to use the word surge. It doesn't have a military uh, uh, understanding. And look, I think the thing is, is this, what you you realize about socialists is not just they devalue the individual uh, and their rights. uh, They propagandize. And I think that's one of the most dangerous things about what's going on at the border. All the charges they made about Donald Trump are three times, should be three times more harshly stated under Joe Biden, but under Joe Biden, uh, you know, they give him a pass. But here's the thing, Brian, you brought up polling. I think this issue alone, the border, because you don't get to just like fix it in a day. It's going to take years to refix this like it was under Trump, if they even want to do it. Uh, I think the House of Representatives will switch over this issue alone because people are just infuriated, because it has to do with race, the numbers and polls will never properly quantify the level of outrage in the country.
2: Uh, yeah, b- uh, right. Uh, here's more from uh, uh, AOC, Cup Five.
8: Which, by the way, is a white supremacist idea, philosophy, the idea that if an other is coming in the population— that this is like an invasion of who we are.
2: Right. An inv- it is white supremacy.
14: Yeah, you know, of course, you know I'm married to a Hispanic woman, Mercedes, and this really galls her, the idea that somehow she's a white supremacist because she wants to have an orderly process at the border. You know, this is one of the reasons why Donald Trump did so well with people of color, because the people who have come here legally really hate the idea that their relatives who are also waiting in line to come here legally have to wait so that they try to get give amnesty to all these other folks. And the kids, as you know, we accept, according to our laws, they get to come into our country. And a lot of these adults are going to be uh, released into the interior. They will be illegal. They will not show up to their first hearing, and we just make the problem worse. So I think legal Hispanics hear this kind of language, and it's galling.
2: Well, it's why you had success in eight, in eight Hispanic-dominated states in Texas. Uh, Trump flipped them. And you would think the minute he said the wall, oh, you can't talk about the wall and security without turning off the Hispanic culture. And it's just not the case. And, and I think President right. Trump proved that. Mark Morgan, when I said about 30,000, I was wrong. It's way over 30,000. But with 30,000, Mark Morgan uh, told me, he says 30,000 have been let directly into the country since January many without even being processed and with giving a court date. So this is beyond the catastrophe, bond, uh, beyond a surge. And you could look at it as anti-Hispanic, but there's no problem on our northern border. The problem's on our southern border.
14: Yeah, that's exactly right. And so what did they do? They, uh, they, they engaged these companies in the Northern Triangle, countries like Honduras, and they came up with agreements that they would have to take steps to keep their populations from just coming north, or they wouldn't get aid. And then we dealt with uh, the Mexican government, and we got a great deal where people had to stay in Mexico, and they weren't released into the interior. So we got rid of catch and release. This took years, and punishing media coverage of of how Donald Trump was a racist to get it done. And you know who's the most gratified about all those diplomatic achievements? Those communities in Texas, like you uh, brought up. Henry Cuellar, a Democrat from Texas. His community was uh, uh, alleviated of this burden of having thousands of illegal people left in their towns. And, you know, because when they're left there, they don't necessarily have a job. They need social services. What can possibly good come of an immigration system with an open border? Just nothing.
2: I agree, and we're talking match Matt Schlapp. Matt, I want to bring you to the voting situation because H.R. 1 is out there. It's going to federalize elections, make uh, instant—you're uh, going to be instantly registered to, to vote. Uh, they're going to decide one size fits all with all 50 states, which is against the Constitution, probably would not stand the constitutional test. But along the way, clearly the tactic is to look at what's happening in Georgia— Look at the white governor and say that he's being racist. Back to the old South, Democratic South, by the way, Uh, the old South. And that's why he's changing the voting laws because he lost two Senate seats. But that is just not the case. In fact, listen to Joe Biden, cut 30. What I'm worried about is how
4: un-American this whole initiative is. It's sick. Deciding that you're going to end voting at 5 o'clock when working
2: people are just getting off work. So... The Glenn, Kless- uh, Glenn Kessler of the Washington Post uh, gave him four Pinocchios. The guy lied. They're, nothing has yeah. changed about when the polls open or close.
14: I, I spent all day yesterday uh, researching uh, H.R. 1 and its Senate counterpart. I have a Hill, uh, an article coming out in The Hill today on this. And, you know, Brian, uh, my time in Nevada after the election taught me something, that the Democrats uh, always cheated uh, in these big cities that they controlled. But now they're cheating a lot. And uh, and what H.R. one basically does, if you want just a thumbnail on it, it basically says that we're going to scrap the idea that a voter has to show any identification or verification to vote. Think about that for a minute. You have to show an I.D. to come up and, and sit in your booth and do your radio show with you. You have to have an I.D. to get into the Democratic National Convention. You have to have an ID to go meet at Facebook. Matter of fact, when you go meet at Facebook, you don't just have to show an ID, you have to fill out a whole form, just to have a meeting with one of their executives. I've done all this. I know this to be true. Same thing is true with Google. All these people advocating for no ID voting, uh, you can't go meet with them without having IDs. Matter of fact, you can't even get into the Capitol because uh, they're so worried about security. But when it comes to voting, they don't want you to have to verify who you are, which means criminals will vote, people here illegally into the country, will vote. You can vote multiple times. There's no way to stop the amount of illegal voting that we saw last time. It's going to get put on steroids, and they're doing this. You know why, Brian, because their agenda is actually not that popular, and they know the only way they can hold on to the majorities that they've gotten in the White House is to continue to have these illegal votes. And if the American people don't stand up and fight this right now, we will lose this democracy forever. It will be gone. I don't think there's any way to reverse it if Joe Manchin switches his position on the filibuster, and I tell you what, I can't sleep at night over it.
2: Well, I'll tell you what, uh, if they do that, they say the Republicans. I don't think it'll stand the constitutional test as they bring it to the court because uh, I, the Constitution doesn't allow for a federalizing of national elections. Yeah, but our court,
14: but look at our Supreme Court. I have many friends on the Supreme Court, people I really admire, but they're a slow-moving train, and they lack gut. The problem with these great judges that we put in place is they view elections as political, and they hate to talk about it, and the Democrats know it which is why they're pressing their advantage. So if we have to rely on the Supreme Court to fix this, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be able to sleep even more, Brian. Well,
2: I'll tell you what. H.R. Uh, 1 would be an absolute catastrophe. They say win the battle of ideas and Republicans will be fine. There are more Democrats than Republicans. That's why you guys don't want to do this, but we know different. So they look at H, They look at the Georgia changes and they say, this is the story. If we don't act and get rid of the filibuster, Georgia is going to change the election rules like all these other Republican states and make sure that the Republicans win. Well, it turns out one of the things they say, it closes early. The polls don't close early. In fact, Glenn Kessler also writes about the waters thing, that the, it's, it's a um, misdemeanor if you give anybody online water. Here's the deal. It's not true. It's the precincts that will give any type of refreshments. I've never gotten any refreshments voting, but if the line's long, they just don't want electioneering. Number two, nothing has changed That's with right. voting. Nothing has changed with absentee access. And the whole drop boxes are brand new since the pandemic. They are now in the law. They have to appear in every county. So here's what Glenn Kessler writes. He writes today, one could understand a flub on a news conference, meaning Joe Biden. But then there's the same claim popped up again, official presidential statement. Not a single expert we consulted who has studied the Georgia law understood why Biden makes this claim, as this was the section of the law that would expand early voting for many Georgians. So Biden framed the complaint in terms of a slap on working people. Many listeners might assume... He was talking about voting in election day, not early voting. But election hours were not changed. An additional mandatory day of early voting on Saturday was added. Two days of early voting on Sunday were codified as an option for counties. Somehow, Biden managed to turn the expansion into a restriction aimed at working people, calling it among the outrageous parts of the law. There's no evidence to that case. This is not the Washington Examiner or Washington Times. This is Glenn Kessler of the Washington Post.
14: Yeah, no, Brian, this is really important, which is uh, what's happening uh, in Georgia has absolutely nothing to do with race. The reason why people talk about it in terms of race is because that's what the Democrats do. That's That's why they have Stacey Abrams leading this parade, because it's all about the racial politics of the past and denying blacks the vote through Jim Crow. Which was a Democrat machine. It was not a Republican machine. The Republicans were the ones leading the way to stop slavery, pass three constitutional amendments to the to their Constitution, and push civil rights. And you know, I get tired of the fact that Democrats have flipped the switch. And once once again, this is propaganda on what's going on in the vote. Remember, Republicans are doing well with the working man and woman. Why would we want to restrict their ability to vote? Republicans do great with people of faith. Why would we want to restrict their ability to vote uh, on Sunday coming from their churches? We're for that, remember? We've become the party of the people of faith. So everything they try to charge is wrong. What they're trying to do is make it so that you can request a ballot for any reason under the sun, No excuse, absentee ballot, with no verification of who you are. And that's why they want the drop boxes, because they know as soon as the ballot gets in the drop box, that no judge will ever knock it out, even when it's an illegal vote, and they won't check those signatures. This is a crisis. By the way, Brian, I, I just talked to Mike Pompeo the other day. You know, we wouldn't have accepted the election results from other democracies if they didn't check the signatures on absentee ballots. Do you also know that no other democracy elects their leader? Why, why widespread uh, 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 mail-in ballots? Because it's too easy to have corruption, which is exactly what happened in our last election.
2: Uh, Matt, we can go on for hours. So much at stake, though, so consequential. I appreciate you doing this. Thanks so much for joining us.
14: Thanks, Brian, and thank you. And We're so happy that you have an extended radio career.
2: Yes, uh, I appreciate that. You mean we, we're on WABC for another few years?
14: Yeah, I love it. makes yeah. me happy.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're privileged to be on this, uh, to, to be on such a great station, the number one market in the country. Matt, thank you so much. When we come back, your calls, 1-866-408-7669. Denrich Lowry, this is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move.
1: Coming to you on a need-to-know basis because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade
12: from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade.
2: Always love having Matt on, but it does take some time because we have so much to talk about. Rich Lowry is going to explore the whole voting thing too. So to arm you, so you'd understand the facts when it comes to talking to people about what's actually at stake in Georgia. Jeff listen on WDBO. Hey, Jeff.
0: Hey, Mr. Kilmeade. How are you today, sir?
2: Oh, Great. What's on your mind?
0: Well, I've got a little bit different take on all this uh, with people getting more unemployment than what, what they get to go back to work. And um, I haven't heard anybody state it. Basically, if you stop look, what we're looking at is, and if I'm mistaken, let me know, but primarily generations of people who were mainly under 40 and if you'll stop and look that is the trophy generation and the kids of trophy generation which back then the parents only cared about their self esteem, they didn't care about instilling a work ethic, they didn't instill very many values or anything, It was it was just strictly how do you feel what is your outlook and now all we've got is adults and kids of adults who are like That's all that matters is how I feel, and I feel better if you'll just send me money. And we got politicians who are as old as dirt, who have enough life experience to realize this, who have the time to be able to look back and go, ooh, we've got this whole group of people here who would happily go home and sit down and let us send them money and do whatever we say.
2: That's possible, uh, even though it is not their fault. 2009 was not their fault, and 2020 was not their fault. And maybe in past generations, who would be too embarrassed to take unemployment. Right right now, they got hamstrung through no fault of their own. And they're trying to say, well, look at all this money. Why should I work? In past generations, it was maybe I'm too embarrassed not to work. But you're not getting that pressure now.
12: From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to the Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of the story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to FoxNewsPodcasts.com.
1: Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
7: We've got 134 out of 159 counties, and this bill will actually be expanding the number of hours that. People can vote in the process. So what he's saying is not true, but you know it leads to the question of this is all just a distraction for them to make a case to do an unconstitutional power grab with HR one, and also to distract from the you know talking about water flowing. There's a crisis of people flowing across the southern border. Uh, You know perhaps they should pay more attention to that than our um, genuous voting times that we have in Georgia, especially compared to his own state of Delaware.
2: Wow, that's a good point. And that was, of course, uh, Governor Kemp, who was on with me on Fox & Friends earlier. But I thought a great column yesterday from Rich Lowry, and then you look at the fact check from Washington Post, that Joe Biden's been saying flat-out lies about what this Georgia election law is. And by the way, I was just checking Twitter. Mark Hamill uh, from Star Wars fame says, I will not act in Georgia, do any production in Georgia, until they change their voter, uh, voter laws. What's wrong with the voter laws? It turns out they have expanded hours, not less hours. Drop boxes are now there. They're not taken away. They just want voter ID, even on absentee ballots. Is that possible or a Social Security number? Joining us now is uh, Rich Lowry. He's the editor. uh, He's the editor of National Review and author of The Case for Nationalism. Rich, have you ever seen things uh, more um, mischaracterized than what's going on in Georgia?
10: Well, it's sort of par for the course, but yeah, this is a complete smear. This bill will make the system marginally better in in Georgia. Well, some of the stuff is at at the margins, but if you're in a small jurisdiction, you're probably going to see expanded early voting hours, as you're just alluding to. Drop boxes, which were a pandemic innovation, will remain, although more limited. Then there's some enhanced security around absentee uh, ballots, you got to write a, a driver's license number on them. So there's just no way that there is one voter in Georgia who's going to be kept from voting because of these law changes. Just, it's just completely absurd. And if you look at the research, you know, in 2020, it didn't matter whether states had no excuse to absentee balloting or not, turnout was up everywhere. And kind of the, the best research suggests the threshold question for voters is whether they're interested or not. Once they get interested, they're going to vote no matter what the rules are. So this whole voter suppression thing is a ridiculous lie. The Jim Crow thing is a terrible smear. You know, Jim Crow immediately disenfranchised every African-American voter in, in most southern states. The, the, this is nothing like that.
2: And Jim Crow – that was, by the way, a Democrat-generated l- rule – right? Yeah. I mean, people should remember well, I, that. It was yep. the Democrats. It was the Republican Abraham Lincoln who uh, who fought a war to free the slaves. And it was all, these, uh, uh, all this uh, uh, segregation that took place afterwards that stopped true freedom from happening for another hundred years. Governor Brian Kemp weighed in uh, further with me on Fox and Friends. Cut 33.
7: Hypocrisy is running rampant right now. This bill makes it easy to vote and hard to cheat I heard you mention on the tease earlier that President Biden got four Pinocchios from the Washington Post, which is incredible, because they're absolutely right. What he was saying is not true. And even more hypocrisy was Stacey Abrams celebrating New Jersey expanding to nine days of early voting when her own state of Georgia has 17. And we just added more opportunities on the weekend. So they're being mistruthful about what the bill does.
2: And the whole water, no water online. No, it's electioneering. You don't want a Democratic or Republican group giving people refreshments online, whether it's water, yeah. Gatorade, or sandwiches.
10: Yeah, so I, I think that provision it could have been written a little clearer, but that's clearly the intention of it. And you can back up a water truck and unload you know massive pallets of, of bottled water. You just have to leave them with the poll workers to distribute. You just can't hand them out individually within the 150 feet of the polling place. So the idea that, you know, that just voters are going to be dropping dead from dehydration because of this bill is also completely absurd. And the dirty, dirty little secret here is these charges are made not really because they think it's actually going to dis- disenfranchise people. It's made to motivate people. It's made to motivate their own voters, make them fearful and scared, and get them out in the polls. You know, and uh, that's, that's what the history shows. That Every place they say, oh, voter ID or this provision is going to limit turnout, turnout almost always goes up.
2: Here is what Joe Biden said, remember this, uh, when he had his great press conference,
4: Cut30. What I'm worried about is how un-American this whole initiative is. It's sick. Deciding that you're going to end voting at 5 o'clock when working people are just getting off work.
2: That's when the times have always been.
10: Yeah, and the times are going to be, early voting times are going to be expanded. Um, it, it just he's, – he's ill-informed or he's lying. And I, I think you know, it's probably ill-informed because Democrats, like Biden, they swim in this media environment that's you know, defined by CNN and New York Times. They hear whatever the dominant narrative is, whether it's true or not. In this case, it's a heinous lie. Uh, but then he goes up there and in all sincerity repeats it and spreads it.
2: So we, this whole thing souls to the polls. How dare you stop uh, African Americans who go to church on Sundays from voting? There is weekend voting.
10: Yeah, and they expanded it. So th- that was a provision where that I think they got some legitimate pushback. Um, it seemed like it was targeted at the the souls to the polls events, and they said, okay, we'll, we'll actually we'll, we'll have expanded weekend early voting. So again, there's not one actual voter in Georgia who is not going to vote because of these rules or be prevented from voting because of, this rule, of these rules. One, one thing they've complained about legitimately is long lines in Georgia. It's overwhelmingly been in Democratic-run counties that have responsibility for that, like Fulton County, and this bill addresses that. It says, you know, if you have lines that are more than an hour long, you need to do something to change it. That's something you almost, in all these attacks on the bill, you never hear about either because they're, they're smearing the state of Georgia – In this legislation, and you know, Mark Hamill and and Hollywood and the NCAA and and all the rest are probably going to make Georgia pay a stiff price for a completely reasonable piece of legislation.
2: So Glenn Kessler writes, uh, Biden framed his complaint in terms of a slap at working people. Many listeners might assume he was talking about the election day, not early voting, but election day hours were not changed. An additional mandatory day of early voting on Saturday was added, and two days of early voting on Sunday were codified. Somehow Biden managed to turn the expansion into a restriction. He goes on, Washington Post doesn't go out of their way to, to rebuke president biden they think he walks on water for some reason and i'm not really yeah. sure why so this is a counter to hr1 isn't it they want to make things look so desperate if you right. don't act this georgia law will be the same thing in 50 states will never win another election now to contrast this with hr1
10: well hr1 would federalize the election system based on you know, the narrowest possible Democratic majorities. I mean, they barely have a majority in the House, and they have a tie in the Senate. And on that basis, they want to totally take over the administration of American elections. And then they want to knock out provisions like voter ID that, I don't know, it's like 38 states that have some voter ID requirement. All the polls show it's highly popular across all groups, you know, including African Americans. And they just want to um, prohibit, basically, any reasonable security measures. And that, that legislation is an outrage. It's crazy that they're talking about eliminating the filibuster to try to pass it. I'm not sure even if they did eliminate the filibuster, it would pass. You know, a lot depends on where Joe Manchin is on the substance of it. But uh, some of my colleagues call it the worst piece of legislation since the Alien and Sedition Act in the, in the 1790s. Do you think
2: it has a chance?
10: I do think it has a chance because I don't, I, I don't want to rely on Joe Manchin for anything. Uh, you know, I think he's been pretty good, but they're going to uh, say it's r- the filibuster is racist. You know, Biden said that last week. Then they're going to say opposition to H.R. 1 is racist. And then Joe Manchin, how can you possibly go along with all these racists who are using racist means f- uh, for racist ends? And that, that's – you know, uh, on the right side of the aisle, you're used to being smeared like that. It's, it's harder when you're a Democrat. So it makes me nervous.
2: Well, yeah, we'll see what happens in in West Virginia. Clearly, you know where they stand. I mean, that's as red as it gets, but somehow they keep electing Joe Manchin. He's at war now with his governor. About a few things, too. So what I also bothers me about what's happening in Georgia is uh, pressure now on Major League Baseball to move the All-Star game. They say they might. PGA yep. to move the Masters out of Augusta. That's sinful. Uh, then you have pressure on companies like Affleck, Coca-Cola, Delta Airlines, Home Depot, Southern Company, UPS. They They are getting pressure to move. Are these corporations going to have the spine to say, I read this stuff. It's not that bad? Or not bad at no, all? No,
10: I mean, this, this is a really disturbing aspect of our public life now. And, you know, Christy Noem, she stumbled all over herself on this transgender bill. But one re- reason she did was she was looking at this sort of bullying and, and the state paying a, a huge price for a reasonable piece of legislation. And corporations, end of the day, they're cowards. They, they don't want any controversy whatsoever. They respond to the loudest voices on Twitter. So you're, you're going to see a lot of them buckling. I think, and and that creates a lot of pressure in in Georgia. And this is just something that's arisen the last you know five, ten years or so. Uh, that that is a, a real problem with conservatives uh, trying to to pass legislation they support in in the states. That you'll ha- have the corp- corporate America. Make you pay a price for it.
2: So, Rich, overall, before I let you go, just where the state of both parties are, you know, Joe Biden for some reason has got about 60% approval rating, 70% like the way he's handled the coronavirus and vaccine, but 34% approve of his handling at the border. I can't believe there's 34% who, who like what he's doing at the border, but maybe there is. And if you look at an infrastructure bill he wants to jam down everyone's throat, he might be able to do it through reconciliation. Are Republicans in better shape now than they were on January 20th or worse shape?
10: Uh, Well, they're in worse shape in that, I mean, we're losing on some stuff. Uh, It's mostly spending, which I think almost all of it is a waste, but it will kind of wash out of the system. And the key thing is, is can he do kind of the big structural stuff that he wants to do? You know, a higher minimum wage, H.R. H.R. One immigration bill, and and the answer, as long as you know Mansion and and Cinema aren't on board, is no. It's just it's just as I said earlier, it makes you nervous having to rely on just a, a couple uh, Democrats being the uh, holding back uh, this this legislation. But I my guess is later in the year, Democrats are going to wake up and realize no, he's not the next F.D.R. He spent a lot of money, but no real substantive changes. Uh, have happened, and you you should see you know normal politics. Say, see, says you'll see a, a backlash developing, you know, uh, running into 2022. So. At the moment, I would say the odds are Republicans will take back the House and the Senate in 2022, but we've got a, a long way to go until then.
2: Absolutely. But the key would be the the economy is going to come back, Rich, by June. Yeah. It's going to be like a rubber band, and we're going to let go of that rubber band, and we're just going to ask people to go back to the battle stations. We're going to ask tourism to come back. Not a lot. Just do your thing. We're going to ask hotel workers to start dealing with full hotels. We're going to ask restaurants to deal with uh, packed-out restaurants just by going, not doing something extraordinary, yeah. going back to their lives. Airline travel is going to pick up rent-a-cars are going to go so we're going to see the economy really yep. grow at a dizzying rate and i think a lot of people at first glance are going to say look what that president biden has done
10: mhm yeah no that's what he's counting on and that's what he's already benefiting from you know conditions have, have already gotten better you have you know a third of people basically have gotten a one one shot at least of of a vaccine and that's nothing biden did he inherited it all and the economy is starting to pick up again. He inherited that; it was just sort of baked in the cake. But he's he's in position to take credit for it now. Does it? But does that you know does he get rewarded for that a year and a half from now? You know, po- politics moves on, um, and other issues develop. But uh, yeah, in the, in the short term, it's going to look good in the polling for him. There's no doubt.
2: He's the editor of National Review. Always love his insight and columns, Rich Lowry. Can't thank you enough. Thanks, Brian. You got it. Man, 1-866-408-7669. 7669 we have that, the infrastructure package. Uh, are you for all this spending? Uh, is life really unfair in America? I think we got to f- fully understand what capitalism is again and understand what the alternative is because the rest is not good, I don't believe. What about you? 1-866-408-7669.
1: Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmead.
12: It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News.
1: From his mouth to your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade.
2: Hey, welcome back, everyone. I see some calls up there and I'll try to get to them. But first, I got to find out if it's indeed true that there is more to know.
1: More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833 600 GOLD. That's 833 600 G O L D.
2: Well, on the surface it seems like good news for this generation of students, but it really makes you feel like a sucker. Why? Because Joe Biden is expanding the pause on student loan interest and collection, and he's getting closer and closer to forgiving this loan. If you're 35 and paid off your student loan, how bad do you feel right now? How much easier would your life have been if you could have just taken out a loan and give it and just not pay it back? That's not the way our system works. If there was some way to handle the interest or spread out the payments, I'm all for it. And in fact, I did it. But now President Biden is lengthening that pause. Quote, we'll be expanding the pause on 1 million borrowers who are on default on a loan was made by a private lender in the old bank loan program. He said it would protect 800,000 borrowers. Uh, Fantastic. What, What about us that gets on the hook for all this debt? What about the education you got? Was that worth it? Don't we, aren't we responsible for our own decisions? Next. Uh, Joe Biden's dog bit somebody again. His dog, Major, nipped someone while on a walk, and that person received medical attention out of an abundance of caution. Quote, Major is adjusting to his new surroundings. Can I add? Not well. The Bidens adopted Major. He's a German Shepherd two years ago through the Delaware Humane Association. Champ, the older of the two, joined the Bidens in 08. He has not been a problem. As I know, you've owned several dogs. I mean, you have
9: what two right now or three right now?
2: Never bit anyone. My right. other dog, uh, uh, Duke, used to knock uh, little kids over with his head, but we would know that he liked to do that. He wanted to play with them. He looked at little kids as playmates, and adults to be respected. Because I know how to raise a dog. Clearly, the Bidens don't.
7: That's a lot of malarkey.
2: Next, California County has helped fund the Universal Basic Income Program. Do you believe this? Only for women of color. Officials in Marin County have launched a UBI program in the county designed to give $1,000 a month to 125 qualifying residents, uh, which means you can't be white. Does
9: that sound American to you? They're finding these ways around just passing an actual reparations bill. They're just coming up with these little clusters of programs around the country, and this is how they're doing it.
2: Next, NFL has approved a 17-game season, much talked about, never implemented. I do remember it was a 14-game season while reducing the preseason to three games. I don't even know why we have three-game preseason games. They're a waste. And by the way, if you watch the way how well they played this year without preseason games, I'd have no problem getting rid of them altogether. It's a money thing. Team owners at a virtual meeting on Tuesday approved the 17-game season. Players haven't been for it, but they got some compensation. They got some more cap room, so they're going to be able to spend more on players. Uh, so, an extra NFL game will be an interconference matchup based on where the teams finished in the previous season. So, this will st- start this year, right?
9: Yeah, and then you're going to see, I think, the Giants' interconference game up against
2: the Miami Dolphins uh, this year. Yeah, that'll and, help the whole nation. Yeah. Come on, Pete, think about the whole country, not just the Giants. Uh, well, right, I tra- we're on WBC and WRCN and well, WLIR. But, but, but I mentioned Miami, too, so Miami's part of the All right, that's good. That does help our ratings. Uh, next, Real High of Salt Lake City star Jennifer Shaw has been arrested and charged with running a nationwide telemarketing fraud scheme. Does that seem like her? Uh, you know, I have to ask. Uh, defer to Eric on this one. I know he's a huge fan of Eric, all Eric, does real this shows. seem like something she would do? Sure. Yeah. yeah, totally. I just gave him a heart attack. he had hit like nine buttons to say he doesn't watch The Housewives. Neither do I. I put it in thinking that it would never make the cut. Next thing you know, I'm reading it on national radio. I'm Brian Kilmeade. Go to briankilmeade.com or to any of my books, including Sam Houston and The Alamo Avengers.
12: Fox Nation presents podcasts. Women of the Bible Speak.
8: I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak The Wisdom of 16 Women and Their Lessons for Today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts.
1: Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's Receptive Voice. Brian. Thanks Kilme. so much for listening,
2: everybody. It's the Brian me Show. Big hour coming your way. At the bottom of the hour, Martha McCall will wake her way in, and Mark Bramovich will be here shortly. Uh, he is the Attorney General of Arizona, one of the border states overrun by the worst policy in my lifetime uh, that's taking place in the in the end of a pandemic in America. We have thousands of illegal immigrants storming our borders when in, in a wall and a barrier that's not finished, but it's financed. The governors who are left on their own with almost no information and with Border Patrol have their hands tied. We're going to get to that, talk to the Attorney General about what he's doing, and that is suing back at uh, Joe Biden the way Donald Trump was sued by almost every Democratic governor and Attorney General. We'll get to that. We'll get to your phone calls, too. So let's get to the Big Three.
1: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
3: Number three they have not been transparent. They have not provided underlying data. That certainly doesn't qualify as, as cooperation. It doesn't lead us to any closer of an understanding or greater knowledge than we had six to nine months ago about the origin.
2: Jen Psaki weighing in on the pandemic. Cases are up, but deaths and hospitalizations are down. 18 states said goodbye, mass mandate. Wisconsin just joined them. How is your state responding? What about you, as just about the whole world realizes that China roadblocked, A investigative team to try to find out the origin of the COVID-19 virus. What are they trying to hide? What do you think the truth will reveal?
1: Number
4: two. Buried in the plan is going to be something called social infrastructure, which will be a massive expansion of the welfare state with no work incentives. We are looking at a universal basic income plan before this is all said and done.
2: Two trillion. That's how much Joe Biden's new infrastructure plan will cost. And I'm sure it's going to be more than that. Taxes are going to go up in ways you never thought imaginable. Human infrastructure is a term we got to get used to. The spending and absurdity never stops.
5: Number one. The capacity for this location for COVID purposes is 250. We're holding over 4,100 subjects in this location alone. You do the math. We're way over capacity. We're like 700% over capacity.
2: And who's paying for all this, too? Uh, That is Arizona. That is New Mexico. That is most of all uh, Texas. And that, of course, is California, which doesn't seem to have a problem with all the illegal immigrants in their country. Worse than we thought. We finally get inside at the jam-packed Donna facility, and it's more packed than you thought humanly possible. Uh, The plastic-walled rooms are 30, should have 30. They got 500, a structure made for 1,000, has 5,000. A problem the VP was asked to solve, but she refuses to actually do anything. And that is part of the reason why Mark Bronovich, the attorney general of Arizona, has taken action. Mark, welcome.
13: Thank you, Brian, for having me on this morning.
2: How bad are things at your border? I mean, it's never easy to be a border state. What about now in Arizona?
13: It, it is unprecedented. I don't remember anything like this in my lifetime. I was a, a gang prosecutor, federal prosecutor. Uh, it, it's just terrible. Um, and the reality is, is one thing that you said is that, you know, Arizona and New Mexico, these border states are feeling this. But let's not kid ourselves. Anything that happens here, it may be in our front yard today, but it'll be in your backyard tomorrow in New York and Chicago and Des Moines, Iowa, because the cartels, the plaza bosses control everything, including human beings that are coming across the border. And part of their coordinated strategy is to overflood. The border Patrol agents With families coming across And then they're literally Driving trucks with drugs And contraband across
2: And by the way It's costing us a ton of money As the current contract stands Marshall Blackburn writes The cost to taxpayers For housing 1,200 immigrant families For six months Is about $71,000 per person For a family of four That amounts to a shocking 284000 Enough to buy a small house DHS and ICE Must provide commitments To assure Congress That the American public That Endeavors is, uh, endeavors is Up for the tax Task of securely and officially housing illegal immigrants without resulting in a waste of time or taxpayer abuse. We don't have a place to put them. There is no urgency in the administration. The vice president who is supposed to help is not. Called Guatemala and Honduras evidently stopped a caravan. If I could give you anything you wanted right now Mr. Attorney General, what would you want? What would you ask me
14: for?
13: I would ask for the federal judges to uh, rule our way in our upcoming lawsuits. Uh, you know, we have two lawsuits. One was challenging the halt on deportations, and so the Biden administration unilaterally decided, even though Title 8 of the federal code says folks that have been ordered to be deported shall be deported. There are 1.2 million people in this country with deportation orders. They've stopped the deportation, so that creates a ripple effect. So, in some ways, I would argue that they have de- <laughs> they have um, incentivized people coming across. And or excuse me, decriminalized, and now they're incentivizing. And this is the second lawsuit we have regarding the public charge. So you just alluded to the cost per person per housing, but one of the things the media, the mainstream media is not talking about is there's been a law in the books for about 100 years that says you can't be a public charge if you want to come here and get a green card, get citizenship, apply for citizenship. The Trump administration interpreted that to mean basically you can't get free health care, you can't get free welfare, uh, you have to be able to support yourself. The Biden administration, there was a case literally pending at the U.S. Supreme Court. They dropped that appeal. Um, they, They rescinded that rule. So now you have the Biden administration incentivized people to come here illegally by providing them free health care free child care uh, free unemployment benefits and to me this is unconscionable because once again the cartels make money off every person crossing it provides opportunities for them to bring drugs in the country which has a financial impact and now you're incentivizing people to come here so the hard-working taxpayers that have had to live through COVID and you know China undermining our economy now we're having to deal with the Biden administration subsidizing people or encouraging people to come here. And that's just not fair. So uh, to me, it starts with that. Let's just enforce the law as it is. And then we can move on to, um, you know, other issues and But but it really starts with the Biden administration throwing out a welcome mat and uh, basically rescinding the Trump era
2: policy. The fence, the wall, whatever you want to call it, was working because technology was accompanied with it. It helped alleviate uh, your manpower issue that always exists when there's a surge at the border and uh, that's gone. How come Texas was able to get a stay on the 100 days of no deportations and Arizona has not heard yet?
13: Well, we actually did get – we're part of that state. That was a nationwide state. But this is what the Biden administration did. This is why we had to file or we had to mend our complaint, is the Biden administration then um – issued new guidance and what they called it was interim guidance from the secretary and so the new guidance was slightly different than that but we argue in our pleadings that it's essentially the same thing so what they did is they basically changed um, they didn't call it an executive order they called it interim guidance but it's st- they they allowed for you know some exceptions like deporting terrorists or whatever but the problem is the decept- the exceptions of who is actually going to get deported um, it still allows for felons. It still allows for known gang members. It still creates all sorts of problems. And we know that even in the Texas court in the hearing, the federal judge asked the Biden Department of Justice, he said, look, there's people being released for prison that have been convicted of felonies that want to be deported. Why aren't they being deported? And the Biden administration had no answer for that because everything is like frozen in place other than the fact that they're kind of rolling back and rescinding these things that were uh, de-incentives for people to cross here illegally.
2: The lieutenant governor of Texas said, Dan Patrick, cut six.
9: We are overrun. America is under siege. I don't care what AOC says. It is an invasion of people from around the world coming here. It is a surge, AOC, coming here.
11: We are up 100 percent over 2020 at this period of time with families here. We're up almost 180 percent of unaccompanied uh, minors here. What are we going to do in America with all of these children? And the hotel
7: package they put together comes out to thousands and thousands of dollars per illegal immigrant.
2: Do you echo that? Is that the sense in Arizona too?
7: Yeah, the system has
13: been overwhelmed. And just for example, we're talking numbers in February. Border Patrol, they had apprehended, and this is the people just they apprehend, we know they don't apprehend uh, most folks, but 100,000 people just in February. Now, think about that. 100,000 people, that's the equivalent of about five or six, um, you know, Madison Square Gardens full of people just in one month in February. We know that they estimate, according to Homeland Security, and they have been really tight-lipped with information, that's one of the big problems, too, is they're, you know, not providing a lot of info, but DHS expects approximately 500,000 to 800. Eight hundred thousand immigrants to arrive as part of a family group during this fiscal year if that's that'll be the largest and twenty years in two decades. So we are talking about an overwhelming number of people the system cannot absorb. We're trying to deal with the effects of COVID and the lingering impact it's had on our economy. And you literally now are adding people that, you know, fifteen to twenty percent of people who have crossed here illegally are COVID positive. That's overwhelming the NGOs. If you talk to the hospitals like in Yuma, Arizona, the people people on the border towns, they'll tell you their system is being overwhelmed. The Gila Bend mayor here in Arizona <clears throat> declared an emergency. Because because Border Patrol has no place to put people, so they're literally dropping off bus and van loads of people in the middle of the town 30 miles from the nearest services. I mean, so we, we are getting overwhelmed. And I, I am just not – I just don't understand logically what the Biden administration yep. is doing.
2: And I was, I was talking to uh, a few Border Patrol people. They said even during the Obama years, they were trying to fix it. They don't seem to want to try to fix it. The vice president was asked to fix it. She, said, she took the weekend off. And then they said, well, she's just handling the other countries. Really? Take your time. doesn't even want to make a phone call or hop on a Sunday show. So real quick, can you tell our listeners, if you can, Mr. Attorney General, the lawsuits that you filed so we could see how they progress?
13: Yeah, the um, one of the lawsuits was challenging— that um, guidance regarding the halt on deportations. The other lawsuit was asking us to intervene in the public charge rule that the Biden administration abandoned, and then they've repealed that rule. We also have other lawsuits. We have a lawsuit against uh, Yellen uh, regarding, uh, you know, the COVID bill and how it's going to undermine state sovereignty when it comes to taxes. So there are a lot of things going right, on right now, and I don't think people fully understand. But you alluded to this at the top of the hour. Um, the, that the Biden administration is permanently trying to change the, and expand the scope of the federal government. And, you know, there, you know, once you let a bully in your front yard, the next day he's on your porch, the next day after that he's going to be shacking up with your wife. So we need to really make sure that we're doing everything we can to fight back against the Biden administration, and that's why I'm involved in these multiple lawsuits to try to hold them in check.
2: And I see you just filed a lawsuit against them, challenging the tax mandate, too. The portion of America means that you're not allowed, if you yeah. take any money, you're not allowed to raise excuse me, cut state taxes. You're challenging that.
13: Yeah. Yeah, like I said, the Biden administration, what they're trying to do, Brian, is it's a permanent power grab for the federal government. And I'm an old school. You know, I grew up in the age of Ronald Reagan. And, you know, Ronald Reagan used to talk about the fact that there is no more permanent thing than a temporary government program. And once you cede that power of states to Washington, D.C., that kind of unilateral ability to tax and spend, the states will never get it back. And frankly, it undermines what the framers established when they created our Constitution. I always remind folks, the states were supposed to be a check on the federal government, and the states created the federal government, not the other way around. And so regardless of you know what you think about tax and spend policy, the idea that states would cede that authority to the federal government in order to get COVID dollars, I think it's clear. Clearly unconstitutional and clearly a dumb idea. Yeah, you got to
2: challenge his dumb. Governor Justice hit the roof and called out Joe Manchin for even, uh, I believe he proposed it, which is stupidity. Why would you (laughs) want to do that? Uh, Why would you want to hamstring your own state no matter where you are? Everyone has different needs.
13: Um, Brian, I think that goes back to this fundamental leftist desire to have everything run out of Washington, D.C., because as government becomes bigger and bigger, they control it. And, um, you know, it starts to replace, you know, civic groups. And, you know, it undermines, you know, our religious institutions, our education institutions already intact from the left. And then everyone becomes dependent on the federal government. And once government can control your livelihood and your income, then they basically control how you vote. And I think that's kind of the long-term left-wing strategy.
2: So, Make sure you keep challenging him, Mr. Turning General. Uh, Mark Branovich, thanks so much.
13: Thank you, brother.
2: You got it. Uh, You got it. 1-866-408-7669.
1: You're with Brian Kilmeade
12: from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is
1: The Brian Kilmeade Show.
12: But I've asked a VP today because she's
14: the most qualified person to do it to lead our efforts.
6: It's a huge problem.
14: Yeah. I'm not going to pretend
4: it's not. When she speaks, she speaks for me.
6: We will not put babies in cages.
4: And I can think of nobody who is uh, better qualified to do this. Do you
6: plan to visit the border?
3: Um, not today. <laughs> the vice president of the United States will be uh, helping lead that effort, specifically the root causes, not the border. There's some confusion over that.
2: Yeah, some confusion over it. She got an assignment and refused it. This is unbelievable. Martha McCallum's here getting to said to host her show. Coming up at 3 o'clock, This Story. Martha, welcome back.
6: Yeah, good to be here, Brian. Have
2: you ever seen such reluctance to do anything? The yeah. vice president was given this. It's this an
6: opportunity to cut your teeth on major policy. We know what's going on here.
2: What is going on? What do you think?
6: <laughs> they don't want—you know who I think of when I think of this story, right, and all of the terrible— um, signals that were sent around the kids in cages in the trump administration i think of kirsten Nielsen, uh who worked hard to secure the situation at the border i went down there and did a show with her right at the border um i think a lot of people thought that she was you know doing a great job she ended up being the person who got branded right with so much of this story and you know has moved on beyond public life they look at this they go kamala harris may well be the candidate in 2024 do you want pictures of her down there Um, Dealing with this crisis because there's no. This is a no-win situation for them based on all of the precedents they've already laid down. They want her as far, or she probably piped up and said, "I no, you're not going to have pictures of me down there. um, You know, walking by these." facilities cages whatever you want to call them i'm not i'm not i don't want that brand i'll be the diplomat send me to honduras guatemala which by the way kirsten Nielsen also did and came up with some very good deals with those countries uh to try to stem the tide Great deals. and they ripped it all apart and tore it up and threw it in the garbage and now they're they're facing the same problem it's it is so classic what is wrong with looking at something that a prior administration did and saying, you know what Let's not mess with that. That actually is working. We don't need to brand it that way necessarily, but don't undo it because it's really actually not a good idea.
2: Right. I mean, Martha, this is a total Joe Biden-made disaster, but what does it tell you about the communication uh, of the White House if they make the announcement and give the vice president responsibility that she doesn't want for the reasons you just said? What does it tell you?
6: I, I mean, I, honestly, I have to wonder if, you know, how well it was laid out or whether or not the president just sort of blurted it out at well, that you meeting. Just heard, you think he you just blurted out it out? And, and said, you know what, talk. she's going to do it. I mean, I, I would imagine that there had been some discussion around a trip down there to talk to them. Um, but he definitely presented her as the person who was going to take over. And I remember hearing it live thinking, whoa, that's a big news. That's big news if she's taking over this really complicated one event that is— not polling well at all among the American public is his handling of the of the border crisis. So, um, yeah, I, I think she doesn't want to touch with the ten foot pole.
2: Now we get yesterday for your show, and just before your show, we saw the images for the first time in mass. We saw some from Ted Cruz, of video mm-hmm. of what it looks like inside. Donna, Texas, it is stunningly overwhelmed, let alone factor in the pandemic. These kids just laying around with these foil blankets on in 700 times the capacity. If that was Trump, there would be no commercials on MSNBC and CNN. They'd be 24 hours how kids are being tortured because of the Hispanic.
6: It's like the – remember the Superdome images, right, after Katrina? And that was because of an emergency, right? They open up the facilities to allow people in. This this emergency – and I, I watched your conversation, very interesting conversation with Tom Homan and, and um, Congressman Babbitt this morning. Um, this is of their own making, right? This isn't a natural disaster where there's no option other than, you know, we need a roof over your head. We're going to work claim, on a better roof tomorrow. They do
2: blame climate change for the hurricanes that happened that
9: forced them that, This is true.
6: Um, <laughs> but but this, this is a disaster of their own yeah. – Yep. making, um, removing remain in Mexico, there's nothing, like, like I said before, just give it time, you know, take a look at the program, see what's working, what's not working this, this, you know, oh, in the first day in office, I'm going to remove all of these policies which have kept people safer it's about keeping these individuals safe, and okay? We f-
2: and we found out they were briefed And now it.
6: they're less safe than they were before, so that's the facts uh, That that's the facts on the ground, that is what it is no matter who you are, what side you're on, that's what's going on and
2: you know what else is the facts. fact? More are coming More with Martha in a moment.
12: Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A radio show like no other.
1: It's Brian Kilmeade.
4: Buried in the plan is going to be something called social infrastructure, which will be a massive expansion of the welfare state WITH NO WORK INCENTIVES. WAY LEFT, SENATORS, PUSHING CONTINUED AUTOMATIC EXTENSIONS OF BOTH DIRECT STIMULUS CHECKS AND UNEMPLOYMENT INSURANCE. YOU KNOW, MORE UNEMPLOYMENT INSURANCE GETS YOU MORE UNEMPLOYMENT. WE ARE LOOKING AT A UNIVERSAL BASIC INCOME PLAN BEFORE THIS IS ALL SAID AND DONE. BETWEEN THE 3 OR $4 TRILLION PRICE TAG AND END OF FOSSIL FUELS, THE BIGGEST TAX HIKE SINCE 1942, along with a gigantic expansion of the welfare state. This is really a pivotal, transformational bill.
2: And that is Larry Kudlow. Not only was he just uh, helping run our economy for maybe three years, uh, he also is just citing what we all see, at least a 2 trillion—it's going to be official this afternoon— uh, at least a $2 trillion infrastructure package. Martha McCallum's here. Martha, with your business background, do you ever remember uh, infrastructure is always brought up $620 billion for rebuild roads, bridges, and highways? Okay. We used to that $400 billion for home care for elderly and disabled. Well, that's kind of interesting. Does that really is that infrastructure? OK, $500 billion for R&D manufacturing training. He wants to improve the grid, broadband, internet access, water systems. OK, and then it just starts going off the grid into human infrastructure of child care. And some of these things just make no sense. And then the counterweight event before we talk about the tax increases, what's your take on the spending?
6: So it was great to hear from Larry Kudlow just then. We're going to watch as the president rolls this out this afternoon, right before the story in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which I think is an interesting choice of a place to go, uh, considering that there's a lot of this Green New Deal element in this bill, and you're going to be in the middle of you know coal country and fracking country. So it's going to be interesting. I thought that was a very interesting choice of a place to go. Um, and Larry was going to join us. We're going to watch the president talk about this, and then Larry will be with us to to react out of it. You know, when someone tells me that they are going to spend even a trillion dollars on infrastructure i'm like wow this is going to be amazing we're going to have like gleaming shining airports from coast to coast a new hoover dam amazing yeah amazing roads and highways all across america you know bullet trains all over the it's going to be like the Jetsons. it's going to be so amazing if you're going to spend that a trillion right even just one trillion that's my expectation when i hear that we're going to do you know i think it was joe biden actually who said the airports in New York City look like a third world country.
2: He helped with get redone. by Right, hey, yeah, right, right, right.
6: Done. So so I, I was all excited about how different everything will look. But it turns out that this is going to be something that it's just it looks like an enormous, enormous spending bill on top of $1.9 trillion that we just did. And there was $3 trillion prior to that for COVID spending. What are we doing? What are doing? The hole is so incredibly deep, and there's only one way to interpret this, and I just think it's a realistic way of looking at it government gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger it can be very expensive to buy a house in uh, washington dc or virginia because you know all of these institutions are expanding 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 and i think larry's 100 percent right i think we're heading towards a universal income basic income we're already seeing it in oakland california um where you know uh minorities uh can get checked people of color can get checked Not white, white people. people can't get a check to, to regardless of your income i believe um so th- this is this is disheartening. This is not a can-do American attitude. This is a, a a bill the likes of which we have just absolutely never seen.
2: I used to think that we have to have classes on American history again, and I still believe that. But now I believe we have to get uh, classes in uh, American capitalism and the glory in which is and the ability to compete and how that's such a rare quality to have. And when you're going to get unemployment and you're going to get supplemental, and I talked to Tillman Fertitta, who has 500— restaurants and all these casinos and hotels, says I can't get workers. No, They're I, I hear it all the time. Much. Yeah, and, and by the way, this is some of the things that I find disheartening. Not that I don't want to help people, but it should be a different bill. It will include aid to poor, uh, paid leave for workers, measures uh, meant to reduce the cost of childcare and help women work and earn more. And they're going to take now tax increases, the 37%, and knock it back to 39.6%. In terms of the corporate tax, this is the one thing where he will not budge, he says. It's at 21%. It's going up to 28%. So here's
6: another classic example of what we were talking about at the border. Okay, you got to take a look at the United States economy and the impact that the lowering of that corporate rate actually had on the U.S. economy. Businesses expanded. They invested in new equipment. They brought on new employees because their tax rate was lower. It gave them more disposable dollars to be able to do with it what they wanted to do. And in most cases, that means hiring. We had unemployment at the lowest levels. We had um, minority workers. Increased uh, their uh, their incomes and to rec- levels we hadn't seen. So you know, so before you make this change, President Biden, before you go from twenty eight to twenty one, you might want to talk to a few companies and say, so what's what are you going to do? What are you going to change when I do this? I'll tell you right now what they're going to do. They're going to not hire any more people. They're going to cut back on their investments. And they're going to figure out ways to increase that margin in another part of the business that they have to pay for in taxes. They're going to hunker down and it's going to be contraction. It's going to be a contraction, not an expansion.
2: Right. I I want you to hear. um, I want you to hear what Stephen Hayes said at the dispatch cut 20.
9: I think the the key to point out is what the Biden administration is actually proposing here and setting aside the taxes. Just look at the spending pieces. We've already had $5.3 trillion of COVID relief. Now you're talking about $2-plus trillion of infrastructure, of which roughly a third of it is going to be infrastructure spending in the first package, and then likely a second package, according to to Jen Psaki at the White House, that could reach that same total. So you're talking about throwing trillions of dollars at a time when we don't have uh, the money to do it.
2: And what you're going to have is they're going to try to do this through reconciliation because it's finance. But I also heard that it's a fuzzy area and that you can only do that once, that you can't keep going back and doing it. So it goes to the yeah. parliamentarian who they might be feeling, he or he or she might, I forgot the, who it was, might feel incredible pressure.
6: Yeah, and the Obama administration, when they used reconciliation, there was a framework. If If it didn't have – it had to impact the debt – by a certain percentage, and if it went beyond that in terms of how it was paid for, you couldn't do it by reconciliation. So there was a framework for how much you were able to spend in order to buy the right to do it as reconciliation. This is just no holds barred. It's it's extraordinary. I I, I was just there's no discussion at all about fiscal responsibility in this country anymore on both sides. Frankly, there's no discussion about how. Any of this is going to be paid for, and it's all through increasing taxes. It's not like you know what we found some places where we can cut to cover this. Um, things that we're spending money on that we implemented that we you know has been part of the bureaucratic infrastructure that we don't need to pay for anymore. No, not even a discussion, not even entertaining that notion of pay fors which Congress says that they employ when they do these bills. Which is and what bothers me too. Look,
2: if this is genius and I'm missing it, um, okay, I, and the car and the economy catches fire because of it. And some economists can go, yeah, you know, Stephen Moore, some go, yeah, this was a big surprise to me. But the economy's about to catch fire. Why? People going back to work, Mm -hmm. right? People going back to school. People going back to travel. Hotels are going to start filling up. People are going to go out to eat again. People are going to go to Disney again. So the economy, just by the churn, is going to pick up. Why not wait? But no, what's going to happen is, Joe Biden's going to get the credit for it. And for, for non-economists, people working, you know, uh, 12 hours a day, and they go, you know, this this new guy really got my the economy going.
6: Well, uh, the first I'm, few trillion were an enormous stimulant to the economy. Those checks, you know, I mean, the checks went everywhere, right? Uh, you know, it's like I, I talked to kids in their 20s who got the checks, and they're like, we don't really need it, the checks. So they put it in the, in the stock market, you know, yeah, which is great. Investing. Invest for your future, whatever. But um, you know the the economy is starting to crank up again and the best thing for the economy is to get places open people back into the office buildings in new york city and elsewhere and get this thing moving and then look at it and say okay what do we need to tweak and actually do you want to build airports go for it airports trains uh, infrastructure. What what people actually think of as infrastructure. You know, I guarantee you're gonna be like, wait, why are there still potholes in the road after we spent trillions of dollars on this thing?
2: Because remember, there turns out there's no shovel-ready projects ready to go. Yeah, it Turned that, out there weren't the, any. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yeah, 800 billion later. So listen, we come okay. back, Martha. You did this special show that is far too prevalent. I remember talking to one dad. You ended up interviewing him again, uh, whose son was a quarterback in the football team, and he mm-hmm. took his uh, took his own life. He could her. not handle it. Uh, The pandemic started, couldn't see his friends. Then the season was canceled, and he said, that's it. I have all these offers that are going by the boards, and kids have been overwhelmed. People just want to talk about, I want to protect the kids, leave them in their room and let them hop on their laptop. There's another side to that. You discovered that in a very impactful moment. I want to bring some of that back and get your reflections on it. When we return on The Brian Kilmeade Show, don't move.
1: Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want to talk to the friends of the
4: kids out there because so often they'll know before we know. People who have depression will confide in their friends. Don't take it on. You can't. There are people who spend years and years and years studying to try to understand how to help people who have depression. You're not equipped to do that. You've got to tell somebody who's responsible, a parent, a teacher. Is it ratting on your friend? No, it's trying to help them. So you've got to tell them, if you were to take it on, God forbid, something should happen. You shouldn't have to live with that for the rest of your life. You are not responsible for them.
2: So Martha McCallum's here, who hosts every show, The Story, every day at 3 o'clock. She did a, dedicated almost the whole show to uh, kids who have, uh, who have taken their own life uh, during this pandemic, and Frank, that was Frank Falco. That's right, and he was saying that the friends have to reach out when they know their friend is suicidal.
6: That was such a powerful message, and I give him—I'm so grateful to Frank Falco and his wife Dara. They lost their son Jordan for going there because my question was, "What do you tell other parents?" And he looked at me and he said, "No, I want to speak to their friends." I want to speak to their friends. And I want their friends because so often teenagers confide in their friends in a way that they don't in their parents. And it is such a burden on these children, these friends, right? And he's saying, don't take it on yourself. You are not snitching if you reach outside of your friendship and say, I'm worried about my friend. You have to do it. And I just thought it was such a powerful message. I would like every teenager in America to hear that message. If you have a friend who you think is capable of harming themselves. If you love them, you must reach outside of your friendship and let someone know.
2: So the pandemic happens. You if you lose your house, you lose your job because I know a lot of people that did. As adults, we handle it one way. What did you discover about how kids handle it when they're told stay home, stay in your room, don't go high don't start high school, don't finish high school, don't start grammar school. Hey don't continue what would the what have you found just as a as a mom and a host and somebody who studied this for this segment? What do you walk away with? Why was it so tough? Why you is know, it so tough on teams? I
6: think for so many of them, it was the it was the first sort of uncontrollable circumstance in their lives. Right? Um, they had not lived through any sort of national crisis before this, and it kept unfolding in slow time. So it felt like it was going to be over, and then it wasn't over. The disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. You're going back in April? No, no, no. You're going back in September? No, you're not. We're going to play football? No, we're not. These These constant disappointments that rolled in, I think, became so difficult for so many of these kids. Now, as we made very clear, these children, all that we talked about, they all had um, issues. They had all sought help separate from the pandemic. But the parents all felt that the pandemic was the exacerbating factor and that without it, they might have made it through another year. And when you make it through another year, you may get to a point where you can start to cope in a different way. And so it, it was the... It was the factor that they felt um, was, was just irreplaceable in a terrible sense And do you remember the mechanics
2: senses? almost a year ago? So you'd be with your family, right? You go to work. And then you say, oh, my friend wants to meet me. Really? So if your friend was with somebody else mm-hmm. and they test positive and you come back to the house, then we're all going to be quarantined. Right. So what happens?
6: So they feel the kids don't go anywhere, yeah, right? They or they don't come terrible. home. And all the parents have different ways of approaching it, right? And some kids were doing things more. And other kids, you know, I had my kids say, you know, oh, well, so-and-so is not allowed to leave the house, you know? So it's... um it was everybody was dealing with it in their in their own way, and I just think these kids. And I saw a study that older people dealt with the whole thing better, even though they were at higher at risk.
2: You mean but, see, uh, see yeah, like grandparents grandpa. or
6: even you know people in middle age dealt with it better? They've seen more stuff in their lives. They know that things pass eventually. They know that eventually things get better. These kids didn't have that that frame of reference.
2: The George Floyd trial is going on right now, and I'll tell you, <laughs> it was I was in a break. It was top of the hour, and I watched the whole tape. When I watched the whole tape, I you sit there and say... That, that nine minutes, someone lo- George Floyd loses his life, and it's so preventable. I mean, in the, if he listened in the beginning, if he listened towards the middle, and then when he doesn't even pick up his knee in the at the end, you feel like saying so, game, set, match. In fact, Chelsea Handler comes, why are we continuing this? Because you have your rights. Mm-hmm. And then the other side is... The drugs is such an issue. He has all these underlying conditions. Would he have died anywhere? Here's Genevieve Hansen, who has, an, has testimony saying that police prevented her from helping. You were just mentioning this in the break, from helping George Floyd, because people are yelling out. They're watching this slow-moving car accident.
13: Why weren't you able to do any of that?
3: Because the officers didn't let me in to the scene. I also offered, in my memory, I offered to... What kind of walked them through it or or told them if he doesn't have a pulse you need to start compressions and that wasn't done either
13: is this are these things that you wanted to do
3: it would have it's what i would have done for anybody
13: when you couldn't do
3: that how did that make you feel totally distressed
7: were you frustrated
3: yes
2: that was a minneapolis firefighter they were, she was prevented from giving him a Next thing you know, his, his lifeless body put on a gurney. So this is this is a um, there's protests on the outside. I don't know how you sit a jury on the inside. Everybody knows this, Martha, right? I mean, what's what's your take on how this is playing out so far?
6: So I see it from two perspectives inside the courtroom. We're watching the American justice system at work. You can't just say game over. Um you have to go through this process. It's it's the right of every citizen and it's the right that Derek Chauvin has to a trial. Um, on the outside you have this dynamic that you know, set that ignited a fire across the whole country. So there's really two different stories here. And that made George Floyd into this, you know, sort of hero icon. George Floyd was a, was a man uh, who, you know, deserved to be able to be taken down to the police station and go through the process, right? But like, outside, they, Even his
2: family had a drug problem. Uh,
6: absolutely. No, he had a lot of problems. He was in, in prison for assault with a deadly weapon. Um, of a woman. For several years of a woman. He's stuck a gun into her, her stomach. He was trying to turn his life around. All these things are just, you know, these are facts of this person's um, very complicated life like many people have complicated lives um, but the fact of the matter is that it took on this outsized proportion that that created you know these riots across the country that created you know gave a real spark to the black lives matter movement across the country so i just feel like what i like to focus on in this story is the trial because it's a fascinating trial of the human dynamic that happened in those in that time frame the guy walks in tries to buy cigarettes with a Twenty uh, counter for twenty dollar bill and ends up in this nine minute you know thing that gets more intense by the moment and you see all of these people in this in this whole tableau as part of it and uh, they're deeply affected by it. I find it a very very interesting trial to watch unfold
2: and the ramifications of the Black Lives Matter moment, the money that pours in, most of which end up going to Democratic causes. Then you have the yeah. defund the police moment.
6: Cool. I mean uh, I, I was on the streets a- in in Minneapolis talking to, to communities. They're like, please bring back our police. We are completely unsafe. They are very upset. Set with the people at the city council, Lisa Bender, the head of the city council, who started this Defund the Police movement on day one and they're like you're not dealing with it we're dealing with it in our community I went to a neighborhood where every you know they have trees that have balloons on them with pictures of the kids who've been shot in in uh, gang crossfire so you know get real um, they need these police officers to keep them safe in these neighborhoods in Minneapolis
2: absolutely especially in New York City with' they getting rid of immunity and we'll discuss that another right. time hey by the way listen to and watch Martha's show at 3 o'clock today the story Martha thanks so much I Thank think you, you have a lot to talk about <laughs>
6: we sure do
2: you got a press conference